0: podcast this is episode number 197 so close to that infamous 200. Greg you've been uh, really harping the last couple weeks when I've been gone on Mm -hmm. hey you know give us your ideas and what you want us to do on the 200th.
1: Yeah and we have received
0: nothing. Nothing. Not one suggestion. So I don't think anyone actually listens to the podcast. (laughs) But this is a good chance just to vent around here and give opinions to nobody listening, right? Well, yes, well, we send it out into the interweb. It, the dark web? It becomes part of the, <laughs> the dark web. You have to really search for this. You, 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 uh, you Twitter around on the dark web here? <laughs> Twi- Twitter? Twitter? I don't know. I've never Twittered. Do you uh, not have a Twitter account, Darcy? Why would I have a Twitter? Account? Because
2: people need to know what you're doing at 11:23 on a Tuesday. Come on. I'm sitting here doing the podcast. What That's kind what of doing. thoughts just
0: yeah, run through your
2: mind? Do you know Twitter is evidence. Sorry, let me just That the world Twitter, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Twitter is,
0: is is evidence that the world needs an editor. You know, I could tweet or Twitter that my dog this morning peed on the bath mat. See no, but see right see, people now. People would want to know to that, find right? that.
2: I have to find that out now, and I'm the only person finding that out. You could tweet that out to the world, and then other people would retweet it because wow. they think that uh, they think that it's either funny or insightful. Think about the effect you could have on the world with your Twitter account. How far do you think a tweet goes? How like much? If- how much do you think that Twitter is changing discourse
0: in the world? Do you know what I mean by that? Well, people talk less because it's only 140 characters. Right. So everything can and be answered. every
2: argument must be must be reduced down to 140 characters.
0: Or a TED Talk.
2: Right. Or, or an 18-minute <laughs> TED Talk. So, look, good luck if you want to nuance anything mm-hmm. anymore because we don't have the time. Can you tweet this to me? <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> Greg's, Greg's, do you have a Twitter Greg's account? tweeted it. I actually do have one. Uh, because I think I needed one in order to follow something. Why did I need a Twitter account? Were you following the Seahawks? I think at the time, I think I started to follow someone else thinking, oh, I'll get into this Twitter thing. I don't want to tweet anything, but I have to follow someone. So I started following. And then I thought, this is ridiculous because the person was just talking about, I don't know, like what they looked like in the mirror that morning. <laughs> and so I said, this is ridiculous. And so I stopped following everyone, but I still have a Twitter handle. And I have never tweeted wow no but i think i have like 200 followers so <laughs> Follow- following my every Despite non-disclosed move
0: <laughs> so maybe on our 200th episode you i can will live
1: tweet, tweet something <laughs>
2: live my first tweet greg harris just tweeted something
1: that's right
2: he's talking about the purpose of twitter on north ucc extra podcast it's basically two grumps bemoaning the interwebs <laughs> while I live tweet it.
0: <laughs> Who's the grumps? That's you and me, buddy. Oh. <laughs> we are the Luddites. Here. The Luddites. Well, Greg is here. Hi. Jeff is here. Hello. Jeremy, the producer slash intern is here. Hello. And Darcy, I am here as We locals. are the proverbial chaff. I mean, wheat. <laughs> <laughs>
2: This are is... we the chaff
0: of the week? <laughs> we are the wheat, and Andy and Kyle
2: and Ezra, the chaff of our team. Where are they? Have blown away. I don't know. I don't know. Apparently, Ezra had to work this weekend, so he can't make it in until Thursday. <laughs> is that really? I don't know. No
0: pastor on call this weekend.
1: <laughs>
2: I know. A- Andy was also
1: good. working this weekend. Oh, but
2: Ezra had it really hard. He had to preach a sermon <laughs> <laughs> one time. <laughs>
1: At
0: 10.30. I did four of them, but, (laughs) you know, apparently I'm here, so. Yeah, good for you. Well, Ezra, wherever you are. You're not listening. We hope you're sleeping. (laughs) He's guaranteed not listening. He will never listen to this No, no. No. I did listen to both podcasts when I was gone, that you guys did. This is something I've always appreciated about you as a host, is that you, when you're not
1: here, you actually follow along with the conversation,
0: Mm -hmm. whereas when I'm not here, I
1: don't actually care what you guys talked about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, ah, I'll catch up. Yeah, never. Yeah. All right. Well, um, do you listen when you're not on it?
0: Uh, Jeffrey? I, I sometimes I don't even listen while i on it. We often find Jeff daydreaming <laughs> or, or looking at his Twitter account. Um, I, I did not know this, but apparently, you can leave comments about our <laughs> podcast. On like the web, really? On the about, dark web, we are about we're, the feedback. We're exposing how web savvy we are right now.
1: Did you know that on the interweb, there's this thing where you can talk to
0: people? Do you know you don't have to put www anymore? That is so awesome. True. Just start writing what you want. Yeah. And and Google knows. You're using the Google, I'm using the. I don't know if Bing does that, but Google does. Yeah. So. Uh, We're pretty happy about that.
1: Sorry, keep going with your
0: amazement at the comment section. How old were you when the interweb came out? Uh, I I don't... I remember it lived (laughs) through the beginning of it. And so it is really quite intriguing still to me that you could follow all these paths down and get lost and eventually hit the dark web. I don't even know what that is. I don't either. I just hear it on movies all the time. Oh, it's in the dark web. It's in the dark web. Dark web. And then, of course, the if
2: somebody, they always seem to be able to get on the dark web. Yeah. If it's if you—it's so easy to get on the dark web, why is it? I can't get well, on the dark but web. but do you
0: see how hard they hit their keyboard when they're trying to get on the dark oh, web? Oh, I mean, yes. It's just, they are going it's, hard. Darcy can't even get on the Twitter. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I can't get on Twitter. <laughs> um, anyway, you can leave comments on, on the uh, web thing we have a, you have a new web page too as northview church yes we do which they, we have a revamped well website yeah. where try to make it more you know one church two campus feel so and that's very cool yeah anyway somebody left a comment about uh discussion you guys had when i was gone hmm. um, about the age of accountability and how <clears throat> does that all work and so I want to read this, um, this comment that was left and get you guys to uh, interact with it a little bit. And as usual, we don't name people or, or anything, um, so we'll just read uh, their, their comment. So here it is. Your discussion on the age of accountability, ability, and opportunity is a very simplistic approach to human choice. It is anathema for most of us to think that God would send a child to eternal damnation. The age of accountability is a way to deal with the internal uh, revulsion we feel about God doing something that no human with any degree of love or compassion would consider. We then are equally uncomfortable with special needs people being damned forever and so make another accommodation. And then we stop. Without understanding that ability is not just related to age or intellectual ability, it is equally related to emotional and cultural factors that limit what a person can choose. Just as none of you could emotionally or intellectually choose to become a Mormon, the same is true of the reverse occurring in most cases. I know the apologetic arguments you will raise to defend your position, but trust me, the scientific community for the most part finds your arguments illogical and inhuman. So he, he is a PhD, a neuropsychologist, right? Right, so. right. Which is, yeah. So can, can, I, can I clear away some of the, the, the short
2: frustrations I have just with, with uh, the, the comment? There are lots and lots of presuppositions that are going into what he's saying that I can't get into at every point. And in fact, I find the comment to be so difficult to interact with because there are so many presuppositions and so many lines of disagreement I would have uh, initially. But I, I want to try to deal with the cru- crux of it. But let me make a couple comments about... Mm-hmm some of those peripheral sort of issues. Uh, First of all, I don't think it's appropriate for anyone to speak for the entire scientific community And I want to know what you mean by the scientific community because I know uh, quite a bit about the hard sciences and how they view, for example, neuropsychology, Hmm. which is that they don't like it. So if I got a chemist in here, for example, or a physicist, the way that they view neuropsychology is as quack work. Now, I overstated what the hard sciences say, and I hope that that would be offensive to someone out there who is saying, well, you can't speak for all of the hard sciences. That's precisely my point. That's precisely my point. Right. And so just, just be careful when we use that sort of language. Also, it's hard sometimes for me when people give their credentials. I have a credential. It's very easy for us to wield these things. Just because someone has a doctorate in a particular realm doesn't mean that they know all the things about all other realms. Right. The question that we're dealing with here certainly does have to do with uh, psychology and certainly does have to do with why it is that somebody make a decision about a particular matter, like what goes into someone choosing for or against Jesus. That is, that has, there are psychological elements in it. The question we were asked, though, had to do with the biblical material on right. the matter. Um, you, we can debate about the psychology. I'm, I'm out of my spe- specialty there. But the question we were asked had to do with what the Bible taught our answer, my answer anyway to that was, I'm not entirely sure, ultimately. I, I certainly think that uh, we were trying to understand certain passages regarding what the Bible has to say about infants or about people who are unable to make a decision in that regard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to make a distinction between lack of opportunity and lack of ability, um, which I still think has has some some merit, and I think he's interacting with that distinction a little bit. Um, but the Bible does have some things to say about this. The Bible says that the that there is that that, that the creation account, the creation is seen by everyone, and it, and God will hold everyone to account for their rejection of it. Notice, I said the rejection, because the rejection is a hundred percent. People reject his revelation, his general revelation through creation
0: hmm.
2: and the conscience. Romans one and two. So that's Paul's, that's Paul's take on it. The Bible also teaches that uh, other world religions do not save. When Paul gets to Lystra in Acts 14, he tells the Lystrians who are believing in Zeus and Hermes and all sorts of Greek gods and goddesses, he tells them to turn from these vain things to the living God. He uses that language, vain and living, because there is only one living God. This is the whole point of Joshua when he goes across and, he, and, and uh, they call the people of Israel to abstain from the idolatry of the land. Because there's, it's only Yahweh who is the living God and who will deliver you. So the Bible is, is, is actually really clear regarding it, its take on other world religions and their salvific abilities, okay? Mm-hmm. And th- that's a piece in there. So these are the things that I think the Bible is, is clear on. Mm. Is the Bible clear on what happens to the Down syndrome child or the Down syndrome person regarding their eternal state? I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's clear. I think that there are some questions I have about the ability of the Down syndrome person to look at the created order and to make certain conclusions from it. Which seems to be the thing that Paul is saying is necessary in order for someone to be held account to account, so that's why I made the distinction between ability and
1: opportunity. so I think if i'm getting at the at the crux of of this guy's argument as i'm kind of rereading it there's there's two things that I think would be his his points outside of his illustrations and other sure. things, right? So the first thing is that our, our approach to understanding human choice was simplistic. And I'm reading between the lines and seeing that because he put his area, specialty out uh, of specialty on the bottom, that, that it didn't include neuropsychology. Right. In and nor, nor,
2: nor would it in the conversation because we aren't neuropsychologists. Certainly. I think that there's a, there are elements and why it is that people choose what they choose. I would love to have a sociologist at the table as well. Hmm. Right, and understanding what 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 role plausibility structures play in these sorts of things. Uh, right, plausibility of worldviews. Um, one of the critiques I have of his of his his critique pushbacks that I have is that he seems to be establishing that there, that that people don't change. Mm. That that in other words that you you are determined in some significant way. And now I'm okay with that. I, I am determined in some significant in some significant way. But but. I'm I'm trying to understand. Is is he arguing that he, that it's humanity requires you to have a choice because the hard sciences and the sciences aren't going to say that that you can't choose you can't choose you are your DNA. Whereas I'm going to say yeah well, I think you're determined to some level by what it is that God in His providence has made you uh, a part of right your family your DNA your upbringing you're you're the child of two parents that God chose to have you the child of so you have a certain DNA structure. You grow up with a certain plausibility structure. A lot of these things are determined by forces outside of you. Hmm. I'm totally agreeing with that. But I'm saying that God is still in control of that. I think Ezra, part of what Ezra was doing when he was talking about the doctrine of election in this discussion, was trying to point that out, that God is sovereign over the events of our lives. And so the Lord, it for those he's chosen, will make it clear to them and give them um, give them eternal life.
1: Yeah, I think... So the other part that he's talking about, I think, is saying that not only are age and intellectual ability factors for understanding something, but equally emotional and cultural factors. And so our age, our intellectual ability, our cultural and our emotional background Cause us to act in certain ways, and then he uses the illustration of you know Jeff. You would never emotionally and intellectually convert to Mormonism, right?
2: And the answer is, uh, of course, I could could never. Of course, I could, and and I say that because several have, several people who have grown up. The people can change, Mm. right? Hard science says they can't. I say it can change. (laughs) Um, and maybe that's the difference here. M- maybe the fact that the scientific community at the end, of which he mm-hmm. points out, the whole scientific community thinks that we're saying is silly. Well, actually, I-, I agree with him in that. I actually think the scientific community is largely silly to be such hard determinists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, the scientific community is arguing essentially that um, the, the scientific community is arguing essentially that everybody is their DNA. You are your brain, so, uh, Natural,
1: naturalistic, yeah,
2: naturalistic, well, <laughs> science, the scientific community is built upon naturalism as an atheistic right. practice at yeah. this point. There, there it was not always that way, by the way, yeah. there was, there was a time where Newton was a Christian man, for example, yeah. and, and others were, were pursuing their, their scientific endeavors as a, as an act of worship to God. That's not the case anymore. If you want to do good science, you have to leave God out of it. You have to act like he doesn't exist. And so you—that's the assumption. So you right. go in. That's why intelligent design doesn't even get a look in to so much of this. They're not even they're treated as quasi scientists because mm-hmm. they're assuming that God's involved, or they're trying to bring God involved. Now that's right. against the rules. So the belief then is that you are your DNA, and you cannot change from what your DNA says for the large part. That's why you have books that come out regarding the biology of rape. So why is it somebody rapes somebody? Because they're determined to do so. Their they're bi- they're, 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 they're biological makeup makes it so that they are rapists. I read an article recently in the New York Times where uh, it was talking about um, pedophilia and how we need to change our views regarding mm. our, our understanding of pedophilia because the, the pedophile can't help it. Kleptomania. Right. This, this is the argument about homosexuality. They can't help it. Right, So to hold somebody morally accountable for something they can't help, that, that they had no choice in, is, just seems really harsh. But my point is that the scientific community says we have no choice in anything. Yeah. So to hold somebody morally accountable for anything is the case. So if you're going to follow this train of thought, then um, to try to win somebody to your viewpoint regarding religion is just a waste of time because they can't be one, which is what I hear him saying. I might be misunderstanding him. But I hear him saying that, yeah, I mean, you can't. People don't change like that. It also makes a mockery. So that makes a mockery of much of the book of Acts in the scriptures. It makes a mockery of much of what Jesus seems to teach regarding uh, the changing of people or, or, or uh, the idea that, that uh, somebody can be transformed by the renewing of their mind, Paul in Romans twelve two. So I, I struggle a lot with some of the assumptions that are going here. Because I actually am a determinist in on, on a soft way. I actually believe that these factors have a significant influence and cause in many of the issues in your life. Yet God in his providence has placed you where it is that he wants you to be. He's given you the surroundings, the siblings, the family, the DNA that he wants you to have. And yes, there, you are going to be certain ways like that. But you can change. Mm. You can 1 Corinthians 6 lists a list of, of, of vices. One of them is homosexuality. Others, you know, uh, horrible other things that people do. But in the end it says, but such were, were some of you. But you were washed and you were cleaned. So people do change in, in that regard. I I think the gospel changes people. I think that's why I share the gospel with yeah. people is because somehow they do have an ability that God gives them yeah. in order to change to be one to the gospel the bible makes sense that way to me so maybe so i'm really clear there's a lot of things i just said there that that it's easy for me to get off onto lots of little trajectories here my big my big point here is that if you approach this question from the scriptures you're going to be limited in certain things that you that you're going to be willing to say you're going to say that all world religions don't lead to god you're going to say to only Jesus, right? Uh, Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So, so you're going to establish that. You're also going to say that everyone's guilty because of their conscience, because their conscience condemns them, Romans 2, and the, their response to the created order, Romans 1, condemns them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think you're going to be left with some questions regarding what God is going to do with those who have an inability to recognize both their conscience and the, hmm. and the created order. And I'm putting in that category children and the special needs. I'm not putting in that, a Mormon into that area. And, I, and I'm going to stand by that distinction. Even though, yes, there are, there are influences in the life of a Mormon, right? Plausibility structures that he or she has grown up with. Absolutely. That's the case, but to suggest that they cannot change from Mormonism is just blatantly untrue.
1: Hmm. The other interesting thing that this question had prompted in my mind um, is it. it, I don't know what the fancy term is for, but but, make one up. (laughs) But he seems to be basically saying because you didn't say something, then your argument is wrong. So yeah, the things you said, fine. But you didn't say all of
2: these it things. It's overly simplistic, and had you been more nuanced and deeper, like he would be in his neuropsychological neuro knowledge, that, oh. that would overthrow, perhaps, what it is that we're saying. I'm, I'm actually saying I, I think that you have not – there's very little evidence that has hmm. been marshaled to try to show that.
1: Uh, I, I just think it's interesting from a, from a dialogue point of view what, that people will often attack you on the basis of something you have not said – Right. Rather than engaging with and disagreeing with things that you have said, and so this is something that jeff you've received, and i 'm sure other I do people all have received where you 'll give a message about something, and people will send you negative feedback not on the content of what you said, but on what you didn 't say
2: right and their their approach is well you, you didn't you were narrow in your reading of this text or whatever there's some validity in some of that critique mm-hmm. if the other viewpoint would overthrow. I, that's to be charitable to this, this individual. I think that's his intent. Mm. I think he's trying to say that my expertise in my area of thought would overthrow what you're saying. I, I'm actually saying I don't think it would, but then we're going to get into some discussions about, um, ab, ab, about foundations mm. at some point because I, I'm going to argue that I believe that God has revealed truth and reality of the highest degree in his word. So I don't actually take neuropsychology to be as authoritative
1: as the Word of God. Instructive
2: in what it intends or what it, in its area of, mm-hmm. of expertise, yes. But, it, but where neuropsychology is going to come into fighting with the Word of God, for example, if you say, well, everybody's determined largely by their things, they can't change. If that's the argument, which I'm not suggesting it necessarily is, but if that's the argument, I'm going to say, well, a lots wrong. And you say, well, why not? You're not a PhD in neu- neuropsychology. No, but I, 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 have a doctorate in in scriptures, <laughs> in, in in theology. So mm. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that I think that the, but, but this is you see the disagreement, right, Greg? I mean, you see the disagreement there is actually about foundations. Mm. So which one of us, which one of us believe in what authority? This is why all these discussions ultimately come down to this. Can I also add just another piece, though? One of the reasons that I wanted to, that we were engaging with this is because I, part of my argument the last time was I said I, I want to go as far as the Bible says, and then I don't want to go any further regarding what I know right. God has revealed to me. Now I can ask and try to answer those questions through scientific realm, but if the answers the, that the sciences, sciences provide me run aground of biblical revelation, I'm going to reject. The science, not as being completely untrue, but its conclusions as being faulty. And so I, I'm just saying that this is very common for us to want to do with the Bible. We want to make it say more than it says, and we want to follow trajectories or lines of thought down. And, and we don't know. As I've said this before. Sometimes the mountain is hidden in the mist in some, yeah. some regards. We haven't been given every answer to every question. But
0: you love thinking through issues Without and arguing through issues and logical Without a doubt. But I just think so how, do there... you, how can you leave it at, I don't know? Well, I think we need to reason well here,
2: right? This yeah. gentleman's a PhD, a doctor of philosophy. I think we actually need to use some philosophy, right, informal logic to question some of the arguments that he's raised I think some of them are specious and fallacious. But
0: That's why I'm trying mean to do.
2: Bad, right? Yeah, specious means just off target, and and fallacious means there's a fallacy. It's not. It's not necessarily so. Hmm. Right. Like for example, the line at the end that says, "I know all the arguments that you would marshal against me." this This is just uh, this is yeah. a, a silly ploy to try to say that well i 'm right because there 's nothing you could possibly say that I, you don 't know what i'd possibly say you, you don 't know I mean you say well, maybe you 've studied everything that 's ever been written or ever thought about this particular subject, which I doubt, but to shut me down immediately before even giving me a chance to speak that 's a fallacy. Yeah. Hmm. Now, you can engage, but, but it shuts it down so that you don't have to engage with content of what I'm saying. You just sort of make it sound like, well, I'm going to rely upon my expertise, my, my PhD, and you need to keep your mouth shut. That's a fallacy. It's not, it's not true. And this is one of the dangers that we tend to have by throwing our credentials around. Believe me, I'm somebody who has a credential who can throw it around, and, and it's, not, it's not a good thing. And it, the temptation is always there. I'm just telling you. It's always there whenever I get in any conversations about these sorts of things. If I don't really want to engage with you, the content of your viewpoint, I just say, well, when I was doing my doctoral work.
1: <laughs> so is that I, why you've made photocopies? Yeah, totally, and then whenever we get in a conversation, right. you just <laughs> throw it at <laughs> right. me? I've noticed right. you frame them right. all. Right. <laughs> That's right. Easier throwability. Right. <laughs> is that a word?
2: Now, I'm not trying to put, I'm obviously not trying to put this. I just, I'm, I'm trying to say that th- there are fallacies that go into a yeah. lot of the arguments that we have when we, when we make these things. And so to think charitably toward each other is to try to say, well, let's leave some of the fallacious stuff aside and let's look at the nub. I think that the disagreement that we're having, that I would have with this gentleman, has to do with the nature of what humanity is, mm-hmm. the nature of uh, God's providence to talk about the theological issues. How does God interact with the world? And what is my anthropology biblically?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How, how free and how are to, uh, people and what kind of freedom are we going to discuss, uh, establish for them?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We talked a little bit about that in our podcast in several places, but it's a huge can of worms that, that I'm happy to discuss, but it's a lot deeper than that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: To, to defend us to some degree, we were interacting with a question right. that was being raised.
0: I thought... About the biblical mm-hmm. material regarding us. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's what it was, yeah. So you, I'm not sure if you answered my question there. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but Kyle. You just need to get how, that. How, how do you,
2: Darcy, but Kyle? you know, when my work, <laughs> doctoral work, you're just so used to to answer
1: questions like that. You're so used to arguing with Kyle. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, how do you, in, in your own spirit, in your own mind, come to terms with? Like I will not know that. Like I, I, you'll only go as far as the scripture goes, right? And, and we'd agree with that. But you have to leave it in God's hands and, so and not da- understand. So it.
2: there's two dangers from my point of view. One of the dangers is to say, is to say that I'm not because I can't know it. I'm not gonna even. I'm not even gonna think about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. That I think that's shallow. I think that there sometimes you say that because you you just you're trying to defend your ignorance. And the Bible actually does have something to say about it, but you don't want to chase it down, so you just throw your hands up in the air and say, I don't know. This is the way a lot of people handle different disagreements about the scriptures, right? Well, there's different viewpoints on it, so I don't know. No. Actually, the Bible is not unclear regarding some of, those, some of these issues, right? And you need to have the courage to chase them down and be willing to change your mind about some of the stuff. I've had to change my mind several times in my life about these things. Probably will have to change it more. <laughs> um, that's one danger the other danger though is to assume too much is to think that well actually all the answers are going to be provided and questions will be taken care of by my by my studious approach mm-hmm. to these matters and and that's not healthy either because it's arrogant sometimes honestly sometimes knowledge and education make you arrogant it make mm-hmm. you think that you can answer all the stuff by connecting all the dots. The problem is, sometimes the dots you're connecting, the Bible's not connecting. Mm. Sometimes it doesn't even establish some of the dots. Mm. You established the dots, and yeah. then you connected the dots that you established, and it all makes sense to you. Well, okay. But that's not, the Bible doesn't do that. Honestly, this is where I, the, the debate about, you know, the doctrine of salvation goes, in my opinion. You know, w- why would a loving God only save some? Uh, you know, I, I think that there's some hints given, but I, I don't. I don't know. Well, he's not loving then. Well, yeah, he is. He says he's loving. He says that somehow this works together. But how can people be free? I, look, I think there, there's a way to understand freedom that makes sense of both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Does it answer all the questions? No. Am I okay with that? Absolutely. Why? Because he's God. Mm. And I'm not. Right. And but But it's that point <laughs> that... That a lot of educated people need to realize (laughs) that he's God and I'm not. And there are going to be points at which I have to claim what we sometimes call antinomy, anti-law. It just doesn't make total sense Mm -hmm. to me. And it's okay for me to live with some tension and mystery. I'm I'm not so brilliant that I can answer all the questions. However, I also um,
0: don't want to say less than what the scriptures have to say on most of these issues. Right. Right? Right? Good. Well, we we do appreciate comments and questions that come in, and if you have any, please send them to extra at northview.org and and, uh, love to interact with with viewpoints that you may have. Um, A question came in. Now, we just this last weekend had the apologetics conference here at Northview, and that's probably why Andy is not here. He is uh, recovering. Um, He's in a dark room somewhere. (laughs) Curled up. He's in the dark web. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so a question came in that said, in light of Northview's position on what roles are appropriate for women in the church, now do you want to, Jeff, just give us the... Actually, my thought. answer to that, you, you read this question just before
2: we went on podcast, and so my answer to that question will probably answer okay. the whole question. So
0: <clears throat> so I, I find it interesting that uh, women spoke in the main sessions at mm-hmm. the Apologetics Canada conference at Norfew this past weekend. How did Northview feel about that? Is it in conflict with their position on women's roles in the church? I'm asking because I don't see how this is any different from a woman delivering the weekly sermon at Northview. Right. And what about women professors at Christian colleges, universities, in positions of authority of male and female students teaching and preparing them for their own ministries?
2: Right. So my short answer, and then I'll, I'll discuss it, is it is different than someone preaching a sermon at Northview. It's fundamentally different. The role of elder is the one that is supposed to discharge the duty of teaching the doctrine of the local church. It is that role and that teaching capacity, the teaching of doctrine in a local mm-hmm. assembly, local church, mm-hmm. that Paul reserves for men. That's the way First Timothy 2 seems to be establishing it. That's why First Timothy 3 talks about eldership immediately following this discussion about gender roles in the church uses the language teach and have authority, which is shorthand for elder role. So look, what we're saying is Northview, our answer, my, my answer to the question is I believe that that role, the elder role, and the duties specifically attached to it, okay, mm-hmm. the unique duties for an elder, and, and I'm using the language teach and have authority there, are reserved for men in the church for theological reasons. Paul argues that that's the role that men were created to do. And that jumping the queue is what happened at the fall, and things don't go well when you, jump the, when you change the order. Okay, that, I'm summarizing 1 Timothy 2. So then the question is, is an apologetics conference the same as someone teaching doctrine in a local assembly? And the, my answer is no, absolutely not. No, none of the people who came and spoke were spoke, speaking expressly for Northview. None of the people who... So we've had people come in our apologetics conference who share viewpoints on things that I don't agree with at all. At all. And I, I would never teach from the pulpit. In fact, I would contradict from the pulpit. But their, but their viewpoints about the particular matters they're discussing are wonderful and great. I mean, I could name... I don't need to name the names, but there are several different people whose viewpoints on other matters would not be things that I would share, and they would not be qualified as being elders of our churches. But they're free to speak but, guy or a girl, do you understand what I'm saying? There's a, men would come here and they speak about things who would not be qualified to be elders of our churches, but mm-hmm. they're very much happy to invite them to speak about their expertise in apologetics, right? And so we, we invite them to come and to, and to do that. So, the distinction I'm making actually is I'm trying, again, this gets back to the very thing we were just talking about. I'm trying to be very specific and nuanced regarding what I understand the Apostle Paul to be teaching about this, the Apostle Paul apostles' teaching on this matter. And I want to be consistent because it's what possible. God put his stamp of approval on, right? The Lord spoke through the apostles in his word. So now I've got the apostles' teaching in a book, and I'm reading it, and I'm saying to myself, all right, does this apply, does that apply, does this apply, does that apply? I don't want to be so, uh, I don't want to lack nuance so much that I just bury women and don't give them opportunity to teach in places that they absolutely should teach. I thank God for Nancy Piercy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. I think she's wonderful. I think that what she's she written was one of about the speakers at the what conference. she's written about culture, her viewpoints on total in total truth are one, are wonderful.
0: Really, really wonderful. In fact, it's one of the books we have our yeah, interns read. Yeah, we, we it,
2: if you want to read something about western culture and how had some of the foundations of western culture, even stuff that we talked about in the last few minutes about science and stuff, mm-hmm. Nancy Pierce, she's uh, total truth. Her preceding book, The Soul of Science is wonderful.
1: If you want to know why you think certain things about our culture and about how you engage with it nancy piercey's probably yes you'll be her book and thinking huh yeah that's why i think that (laughs) way
2: mary poplin and her story is is fantastic and her discussion regarding how to engage in your sphere of influence these are all wonderful things why wouldn't i have these women speak about these things they're not fulfilling the purpose i so if you're going to ask me oh jeff you should have nancy piercey come and speak at sunday morning at northview no And you say, why not? She could just do the same message because I don't want her to do the same message. When you come to Sunday mornings at Northview, my goal is to actually have someone preach to you the word of God endorsed by the elders of this church. Right? So what about the It's a different role. That's what I'm saying. The elder role is a unique role. It's a special role. It has certain duties. And speaking at a conference, any conference is not That way. Okay, so what about teaching at a university or college? Yeah, we can get into discussions. You You can get into discussions about this. I tend to, I tend to, um, I'm very happy to, to dialogue about that. They're not in a local church, so I tend to not be worried too much about women teaching at that level. I will say, though, that this is a question for the for us, a deeper question for us to try to understand what is a Bible college and how closely linked to local churches is it? And is the work that's being done in a Bible college elder work? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you can, I'm going to tell you what my answer is regarding this. I'm trying to fit our different, uh, they didn't have conference speakers in the New Testament. They didn't have Bible colleges in the New Testament. So I'm trying to fit our different uh, methods and, and ministries into what the New Testament has established. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying not to overstep where the scriptures lim- limit, just mm-hmm. saying it's an elder stuff, and I'm not trying to understep it. <clears throat> So there's a lot of debate we can have and disagreement that complementarian people have regarding what particular roles we're talking about. We as a church have no problem with a woman encourage women to be involved in facilitating Bible studies. But they're not seen as people who are officially uh, passing on the doctrine of the church. Other churches who hold the same complementarian view as us would challenge us on that and say, well, they actually are. We can debate that. And I'm happy to.
1: Good. Okay. Um, can I ask one question? Or do you uh, want to keep going? You can, can you send it to extra at nephew.org? <laughs> no, go ahead. So in the, in the event that... So my question is, because the sermon functions as, a, as the place in which our church has the, the teaching and the protection Well, what is doctrine, Paul talking
2: about in 1 Timothy 2 is what I'm saying. is yeah. that I, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. In that context, what right. is he meaning when he says teach? Right. And I'm saying he's, it's the doctrinal right. ministry of a local
1: assembly. Because I've, I've heard some people say that the preaching from the pulpit is not the place where the doctrinal protection and teaching takes place. And so we let the pulpit be filled by all kinds of people. It's kind of the place that ideas get thrown around and provide the fodder and then in the church meetings as members right. is, is where the elder role of, this is where we stand as a church. Right. So I would, I would, uh, I, okay. Would you, would you question, I'm gonna question the, the doctrine of
2: preaching that you've got <laughs> yeah. just so you know, and what you think is happening when you gather together the entire assembly, right? It's man, woman, old, young, black, white, purple, green. You gather under one roof and you have a man discharge the duty of conveying the holy word. I actually think that this is what's happening mm. when uh, Paul is talking about those sorts of things in 1 Timothy 2 and other places in the New Testament. That's my doctrine of preaching, though. Mm. And I think it's actually a, a holy thing that's supposed to happen. It's an official mm. a capacity that that, that the pastor has at that moment. So I would disagree with their doctrine of preaching at that point. Mm. Lots and lots of ways, by the way, it's, we get very clever with our attempts to try to duck what the scriptures have to say about the gender stuff. I just want to make that little bit of a warning, right? But again, I don't want to go any less than what the scriptures teach, but I also don't want to go further than what the scriptures teach, which makes me despised by several camps, right? right? Those, those who want me to go less, say, or disagree with what I'm thinking the scriptures teach, think you're, you're hurting women, by not giving them the voice in the pulpit on a Sunday morning. And those who want me to go further are saying, you're not being faithful enough to the scriptures because you are allowing women to be involved in in conference speaking or facilitating small groups. And yet I'm very happy at this Mm. moment in my life and my understanding of scripture, very happy with my exegetical work, Mm. understanding what I think the intent of the author, the the apostle is at that point. And I'm not saying I can't be my, my mind can't be changed. Of course it can. Of course it can. But I, I would have to see the content and, and the the argument that
0: should change my mind. And you do have a PhD.
2: Yeah. Well that and that which makes me perfect and don't ask any sorry, we're now we're picking on people. I know the arguments that you're gonna have in response, and so don't even bring them. <laughs>
0: Well um, then
1: let's move on
0: <laughs> Yeah we're going to move on A question I'm just kidding. came in <laughs> Just came in as just we're now? sitting here Yes, I just checked my email while Jeff was going off He kind of <laughs> lost me there was it a So little, I was checking my emails Was it a live tweet? I was going through my Expedia email and my WestJet email Expedia And then there was a question that came in from a, a podcast listener
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> Based Jeff on your um, message this weekend So I thought it very appropriate I was reading Psalm 69 this morning, and one of the things that stood out, as it does in many Psalms, is David's prayer against his enemies to the extent of saying, let them be blotted out of the book of the living, let them not be enrolled among the righteous. On the other hand, we've been made aware of prayers for those who have committed atrocities against family members, ISIS casualties being at the forefront of those today. These prayers call for the salvation for the perpetrators, which seems like the godly thing to do. Can you enlighten as to how to read and apply such psalms today? What are they, what are they called? The Psalms of <clears throat> Oh, come on!
2: There's several of them. So you have the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms of Lament, Imprecatory. Psalms. Those of you who want to do, where you're asking God, Darcy, it was right on the, it was around the tip of your tongue. The imprecatory psalms. Yeah, yeah,
0: that was. What
2: do you do with the imprecatory psalms and their things? Okay, so I was actually reading an article recently. that I I found really compelling. On the one hand, I think one of the things you need to learn from the imprecatory psalms Hmm. is that God is just, and wanting Him to be just is good. That there will, I actually think that we will be in heaven and glorifying him for his judgment on the wicked. We will. Right. That when we see ISIS judged, they will be judged. <clears throat> we will all rejoice. And this is a good thing. However, I am going to say, so, so should we pray that, that for the impregatory Psalms against ISIS and things? Or should we pray for their salvation? I actually think that we need to run this through the grid of the new covenant because Christ has paid the sin for the sins. Christ has right. borne the wrath of God that you read about in the impregatory Psalms, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't see any New Testament example of seeking uh, the destruction of the wicked in the same way that the Psalms are speaking in an impregnatory way. What I do see, though, is the seeking uh, their good and uh, nonviolent resistance in many cases, right? Turning the other cheek, seeking their eternal salvation, all the while knowing that won't the judge of all the world do what is right? Right. right. And he will bring his world to its final perfect consummation. Um, is, that, is that a fair enough answer? So, so, so in practical terms, should we pray the imprecatory psalms against our enemies? No, not in the new covenant day. Hmm. I don't think so. I think, we should, I think we should thank God that Christ has fulfilled the wrath that is being spoken of there and ask the Lord to express his love and have those people turn from their wickedness. Right? I think Paul, for example, Saul, when he's persecuting mm-hmm. the church, mm-hmm. I think that is, should be a, a, a model. You know, Jihadi John, this guy who's been cutting everyone's head off, we should be asking the Lord to reveal himself to him and win him to Christ. And see him saved. If he does not, then the imprecatory psalms are going to be very, very real
0: for him. Right. So, do you think David? I mean, he prayed against his enemies. Did he pray for his enemies? I don't know. Did he? That's a very
2: good question. I don't know. Greg, I'm not aware of. So he should listen to this podcast. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, you have to understand, though, there's a difference between the the covenant that you're dealing with right here, and you, you have in Israel a theocracy of God. God, they were God's people, and they were. There was a physical land that they were taking, and they were called by God to possess that land through, and sometimes violent means. The church is not called to possess any land right. through violent right. means. The church, the people of God in the new covenant, is called to represent christ and to call people to repentance and our battle and our armament is love so it's a it's a different deal yeah. right now does does that mean oh the old testament is just not even that god's different nope the old testament is 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 meaningless and has no has no validity no it all points to christ and will ultimately if you do not receive christ all of the threats will come to you don't you worry all the all the threats will come to you and it should serve as a warning
0: Good. Well, thank you so much for listening uh, to our little podcast here. And if you do have questions, please send them to extra at northview.org. We're going to start off uh, next podcast, which would be 198. Eight. Bam. Only wow. two wow. away Three from... So is
2: it like we will, the week, is it week before Easter that we will do 200? I think so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now that's kind of cool. You know what we mm. should
0: do is maybe 200 minutes of podcast. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. So
1: what we could do is we'll just, just attach a mic to Jeff as he goes through his work day. Yeah. <laughs> or I could oh. just tweet it. Yeah. 200 oh. tweets. We could just do 200 tweets. And at this point, I'm laying one around the table with a account, Hey, did you know so that
2: God answers knee <laughs> Did you know that? I see what you did there. <laughs> email. Did <it's> like, <clears throat> God answers knee mail. Because it's like that. Could,
1: you could tweet that. Do you want me to? If yeah, there's a sign a in our lead, town.
2: There's a sign in our town right now that lead says, that says, life is like tennis. Serve, serve well, and you'll win, or some serve <laughs> well, and you'll have success." So, there. You so go. there.
0: Yep. Plus, there's love and <laughs> what? <Juice>? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so next week we're going to start off with uh, reproductive technologies. A question about that. So we. <laughs>